Welcome to the GrassCast, the host of your show, Quab and Sean. Game on. Welcome to the GrassCast, a show about games, life, and everything in between. I'm Sean. And I'm Quab. And today on the show, we have our guest, uh, Sue Braden. Sue, I met through uh, the Windsor Hackforge. She is a uh, an adventure diva, a solutions She's into solutions journalism. She's a storyteller and a closet uh, game player. Um, Sue, welcome to the show. Thank you. Before we get started, um, yeah, we have to yeah. square off in the ultimate challenge. Uh, every every yeah. time we uh, face off in uh, our greatest our greatest game of paper, scissors, rock. Mm-hmm. Um, we're getting. I've been looking forward. Yeah, to we're getting pretty good at it. Um, <laughs> Bob, you know yeah. the rules. We know everything. We know how to do this, right? We're good. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Let's just do it. Okay. You good? <laughs> All right. Yeah, All yeah, right. yeah. Ready? Yeah. All right. One, two. two. Okay, we're just okay. You're going okay. So Let's slow. restart. Let's reset. Speed. You're going very slow. Why? <laughs> Every time. <laughs> nice we're gonna go pace. one, two, three. Yeah, the thing. Sure. That's okay. it. Ready. With that cadence. Yep. All right. Got All right. Got Ready. It. All right. Starting now. One, one two, two, three. Three. What do you say, rock? I heard a rock. <laughs> I heard you say rock down. <laughs> what did you say? Uh, I said rock, but I did the hand gesture for paper. Mm. Uh, Sue, Sue, what's the verdict there? <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you. You guys are playing this all wrong. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we are. Thank you. Yeah, we need help. My, my, need business, help. Name, my business name is Rock, Paper, Estrogen. Oh, and you oh know wow. Every time. <laughs> oh, wow. That is synergy. Okay. We can switch it up. Okay. We can switch it up. All right. We got a new, new next week, Estrogen all the way. That's my strat. That's my strat. So the first question we like to ask, uh, just to get things started, is what what's like the first game that you... Uh, played remember playing like what's the first memory you have of the game uh, that that's a great question and it's funny because that's such a crystal clear memory for me yeah it was dominoes and uh, it would have been 1967 ooh. yes i'm an old girl <laughs> i was four years old and uh-huh. my mom had just taught me how to tie my shoelaces all by myself okay. and my dad was teaching me dominoes and i just remember sitting on the living room floor of our old house and, and this architect came over to show my mom and dad these blueprints he'd drawn up for the house they were designing together. And mm-hmm. so my dad was really stoked about these blueprints, but he kept looking down and praising me every time I got the patterns on these dominoes, mm-hmm. right? Like it was a bigger deal than this huge new house we were going to move into with the brand new baby brother I just got. So, wow. uh, yeah, it just, that was just, it was a beautiful memory because it was it's sort of foundational in my family. Game playing was at the core of everything. I'm, yeah, not to discount our past guests, but that's the best answer I've ever heard. <laughs> like, it's so crystal clear. Like, I felt like I was there. <laughs> well, it's funny amazing. because you, you get those moments that are so formative. And for me, that's like, I was four years old. Yeah. And I, like, I remember the standard things, like a lot of snakes and ladders with my little brother mm-hmm. and, you know, the the smackdowns with Chinese checkers and crazy eights at my grandmother's house. <laughs> like, the dominoes was just... It was a moment where I was aware of hmm. my worth. My dad was a teacher. He was a science hmm. teacher. So okay. gameplay was a huge part of learning. Oh, and um, yeah. That's fair. I, I don't think I know how to play dominoes. I don't know if I've ever played it. But... It's been a while. Yeah, yeah. I, I forget how to play now. 
Oh, I actually, I still play it online. It, it, okay. And you can, right. the online versions of it, you don't even have to know how to play. It'll help you play. Nice. Okay. <laughs> All right. You can kind of cheat and learn at the same time. I got a new project. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so what, um, like, what's the last or more recent game that you've played? It's funny because, um, like I said, games were such a, a, an important part of growing up. And I just have these memories in decades, like the 70s. It was all, we, we had these family game nights every single Sunday night. That was a big part of our family connection. And back then in the 70s, it was the tabletop gaming, like Crocono and Shuffleboard. And then board games like Love Monopoly and Clue and Battleship and Yahtzee and Scrabble. And like, you know, those those things that are now again all online but i think where i really had my my epiphany i think again in the 70s was when my very first electronic game um was coleco table tennis on my parents black and white tv in the basement screen burn we're screen burn ever <laughs> yeah but it just um i mean my brothers had an air hockey um table behind us and it was that that first electronic game that just fascinated me. And all I did was just bang this thing back and forth across the screen. It wasn't very interesting, but I just, there was something that clicked for me with that game. And it was sort of like every decade after there was this evolution of where I was going in the eighties, it was the very first version of SimCity, which was really crude. And I went on to be a founding member of the Sims Online, God rest its little digital. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I have still got that box, never opened it. Um, But I think it was um, it was sort of the 90s where I had this shift that popped me into where I am now. And it was um, like the really richly immersive, sensually rendered computer gaming like Mist in 1993 and 94, and then Riven in 97. Like I was doing a lot of programming with early AI and artificial life forms back then. So I was really curious oh. about digging under the hood of game engines. And like I just developed this insatiable appetite for world building. Hmm. I just, I ate the tools up teaching myself how to render these digital landscapes and code interactive artificial life forms. I really was a geek. I was a science teacher's mm-hmm. daughter through and through. <laughs> um, and I just remember, it, it was sort of like it was the epiphany that back then it was just really driven by this vision of how that kind of gameplay cultivated such a powerful um, sense of asset building for kids. Uh, mm. I did a lot of work with youth at risk. And um, I actually, I remember when Fujitsu came out with this A-Life pet, it was, I think, half dolphin and half bird. And I got it for my kids. And I remember just spending hours interacting with this thing through the microphone. It was just mind blowing to have this sense of sentience, sentient being in pixels. And, um, And I think that was, it just was where things clicked that I saw game playing as a means to an end. It was more than just pleasure and delight. It was something that really changed the way that I interacted with the world and changed, um, created possibilities for, for, especially for kids that didn't have a lot stacked in their favor. And um, Mm -hmm. I just remember in the early 2000s when the, you know, massively multiplayer online games, you know, World of Warcraft, of course, and I didn't get into a lot of the land parties, but I was really into oh, okay. the exploration side of things more than blowing stuff up. Yeah. Um, 
so it just it it just took me into this place that that led me into the most fascinating, wonderful, bizarre kind of alternate reality that took me mm-hmm. into um, uh, being in Hollywood with James L. Brooks, who was the producer of The Simpsons, and Hillary yeah. Rodham Clinton, and um, Maria Shriver, and just um, because back at the time we had um, Littleton, Colorado had happened and this massive sense of horror as we were watching online gaming unfold in a very different way for the first time Hmm. we were seeing kids that were just really disenfranchised um using it as a tool to fit in and then ramping it up to something else entirely and so at that time was before ted conferences before ted talks were a thing the original group in Hollywood came together. I remember it was Billy Zane who was had his infamy in the movie Titanic at that time, and mm. James L. Brooks, and like they they all got together in Brentwood Theater in Hollywood to have um, this summit for a couple of days to see what they could do to change the conversation and to protect kids. And so mm. I was invited to participate in that. I had taken these technologies I'd been given and created something called First Frontiers in partnership with this this lovely gentleman out of the Bronx. He was a lawyer in the Bronx who worked with um, kids who had been permanently suspended from school. Um, Kids did not have a hope in hell um, of getting their life intact. But Mm -hmm. Benjamin and I started talking at the time we were were working with this tool called Worlds Away. Fujitsu bought it. From George Lucas's crew, LucasArts had built the very first immersive online game, Habitat, and turned it into this. And so we thought, you know, I remember watching my kids playing um, Nintendo and Sony PlayStation and just really seeing that it was sort of the great equalizer, the way that they were problem solving and connecting. Mm -hmm. And there was just so much creativity and innovation. And I said, what if we were to take these tools and give these to the kids to learn how to do their own world building and see how they connect, Hmm. how they problem solve. And so it took off in this project called First Frontiers. And we had Al Gore give us a nod and Senator Hmm. John McCain at the time. And like, it just became a big thing in the States where all of a sudden it was like this surreal experience where we had these, this handful of kids in grade one here in Windsor, Ontario, sitting in this hot, sweaty classroom on the big screen in Hollywood in front of all these big people because of this game. Mm. So, Mm. I mean, that was a really long answer to what my favorite is right now, but I think (laughs) it's, it's anything that creates that sense of possibility and healing. I think it's Mm. just an incredible neuroplasticity experiment on crack. Mm. (laughs) It just, Wow, that's a really interesting way of, of phrasing it. Yeah, I think you um, answered like all our questions in the one. Time. Yeah, we'll, like, we'll, we'll keep going. Pretty through. much hit the whole <laughs> list of like how games affect you, and like wow, it's just. Uh, I mean, yeah, so much to unpack from that. Like, I, it's really fascinating to hear like the evolution of games, like kind of told through your eyes, and like how you were there, like uh, on the ground, kind of working with different developers and all these kind of different people who, not necessarily, are always uh, related or seen as linked to games but how they kind of all, all their their paths kind of intersect uh, via games like that's really interesting well, to hear it, and it's funny because at the time 
games were being demonized as the ultimate mm-hmm. evil. And when the, right. the particularly around the situation in Littleton, Colorado, people were grasping for straws. You know, you, you, you we're mm-hmm. meaning making machines and we were trying so hard to understand how mm-hmm. what at the time was still a fairly new technology, like the online, the online um, immersive technologies were not something like our kids grew up with them, but it was still no. pretty new. And everybody was saying, you know, it's games, it's games. Kids are out there with first person shooter games and they're blowing crap up. And it was just, yeah. it's creating these violent monsters. But I was seeing the opposite happen because it was how they expressed themselves creatively. It's where they fit in. And the mm-hmm. problem was ours mm-hmm. as adults to learn how to flip that, the positive flip, mm-hmm. to change that equation. And I think these folks that got together in Hollywood, because they were such perfect cultural creatives, you've got James L. Brooks, who's like, you know, The Simpsons and As Good As It Gets, and like one of the biggest Hollywood directors out there, who actually had just an absolute heart of gold. And his wife, mm-hmm. Holly Holmberg Brooks, who was a writer for Mary Tyler Moore and Taxi, like you had these iconic Hollywood people that sat down and said, what can we do with our assets to take a look at this in a different way? And so I just really hit the jackpot with being in the right place at the right time because I got into that by literally begging Fujitsu just to let me to use just to let me use the damn technology. I, I just really mm. wanted them to to let me use it for the kids. And at that time, they were just such they were a huge um, commercial technology company. Why would they care about? You know, they're not a charity. Why would they give it to me to go do this thing with kids? But mm. they did. Um, the sad part of that was that they closed down overnight without telling anybody and we were all left holding the bag, but <laughs> what's right. your game then? But yeah, it just, I think it was because gaming was so demonized that there was, we saw this yeah. other side of that mirror and hmm. it led to some really spectacular social experiments and phenomenal things for the kids. Yeah, I don't, okay, did we even get like your career path? Because it sounds like a lot of interesting work there. <laughs> Um, Heinz 57, baby. <laughs> I, I think like a lot of cultural creatives, um, and polymaths, I just ate everything yeah. up and I was constantly crawling through again, science teacher's daughter, um, chasing shiny objects <laughs> and that doesn't always serve you well, but I, I fortunately had a really nice set of accidents come from that. I'd started out in school, um, I was one of the top 10 in Ontario for my English school, my English skills. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go do something with English. I thought maybe be a teacher like my dad. But I ended up having an accident in my first year of university and lost everything. So, you know, I I went on to Western on a full ride, had this scholarship, was, you know, had this promising life ahead of me. And then Mm -hmm. everything just came crashing down. Mm -hmm. So I ended up getting married and having a baby. And ironically... When I was in high school, this is where computers were brand new in schools. They had just started bringing them to schools. Oh, wow, yeah. Ontario Scholar, I failed math. <laughs> so I was never allowed mm. to take computer oh, science. Wow. That's so silly. I, yeah. Yeah. yeah and good. um, But in spite of that, they hired me in a bank as a teller. Go figure. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Let me play with other people's money yeah. on a grand scale. But there was... Um, I was just lucky because they had these job postings that they would send into the branches mm-hmm. for things that were going on in head office. And um, my boss came to me one day and said, I think you should go for this. And it was 
secretary in the computer library, oh. working with the guys that were creating the very first ATMs wow. in North Whoa. America. Again, Whoa. I'm the old girl. No. <laughs> but, so this was like the early 80s. I uh -huh. just had my first baby in 84. And so I was sent off to this, this incredible playground mm -hmm. where it was when PCs were brand new. I was working with the mainframe computers that was like a, you know, fridge in your garage. <laughs> but I remember the rep coming in from IBM and um, was trying to get us to buy PCs. And it was a huge upward climb. And I remember the one, he, he took me into the computer library and we he showed me how to rip this computer apart oh, yeah. on my lunch hour. Cool. Hmm. And like, I, I mean, a geek was born. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> and I just had this whole library full of all these um, learning tapes. And I, I taught myself computers, hmm. even though I'd never been allowed yeah. to do that in school. It was kind of like, <laughs> watch me right. and again just I, I think it, I remember exactly where I was when I had that first epiphany I was working with a graphics machine just thinking for no particular reason at all these suckers are going to change the world mm -hmm. and um, so it was just right place right time so I I did have this wonderful career in the banking industry after they pulled me from a teller I went into this secretary position then I was put in as a manager of a computer unit and then like I just went straight up the ladder with mine was like four four promotions within five oh, years right. mm -hmm. and was at the top of the food chain mm -hmm. and um there were just so many opportunities I was surrounded by such remarkable generous generative people mm -hmm. um geeks are funny mm -hmm. And, um, they just, they allow me to learn. Hmm. And, um, there, I just remember there was a time when a tobacco company mm -hmm. bought out the bank that I worked for. Oh, okay. <laughs> Interesting <laughs> series of events. Bought out Oreos and then they bought out my bank. Wow. <laughs> and I just, I, I remember riding up in the elevator one day, just thinking that, I was, my brain was engaged, but I would go home at night and my head would hit the pillow and I felt empty in the place that counted. Mm -hmm. Like I just felt like I was making rich men richer, yeah. <laughs> but I think I recognized, like I always had this massive sense of purpose mm. that the, the, the question is, how can I be of use? Right. And it wasn't there. So oh, wow. um, I did the, the, the brave slash stupid thing a lot of people do and just made the leap. I like, I quit this amazing job with mm -hmm. incredible pay, incredible benefits, incredible future mm -hmm. and went to do my own thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that was sort of the start of a really crazy path just mm -hmm. with, it was when the internet was brand new. I had mm -hmm. been teaching in, um, in a computer lab for a local business and I remember I, I had this woman from Bell, mm. uh, Bell Telephone, accidentally walk into my classroom. She wasn't supposed to be there, but it was a great accident, pure serendipity. She was looking for somebody. It was when they were first looking to bring the internet into Southwestern Ontario. Oh. There were no lines at that time. Mm. And we got talking and I said, we need to get people together to see how we can make this happen. And so we threw this... Um, meeting in this this um, room that I had been teaching in brought in about 150 people from all over southwestern Ontario and we showed them the very first video conferencing huh. we had this tv set up and back then like there was nothing like this this was you might as well have just walked onto the holiday yeah. of Star Trek <laughs> and um, and I just, again, it was one of those moments where you're standing there and you realize this is going to change everything. This mm -hmm. is a game changer. Mm -hmm. So we, we were, we did manage to 
work with Bell, internet arrived, um, back with our dial-up modems, our little 1200 bods that we can still do the modem beeps for. <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was teaching and sort of going from one of those crazy moments to another mm-hmm. until I ended up, um, I, I had a really successful private practice. I was working with a group that um, hired me to go consult for Bear Healthcare International, where they were working on trying to solve diabetes. Uh, Aboriginal diabetes oh, wow. and looking at how they could use technology to help them create the very first one of the very first online universities. Worked with St. Clair to help bring in online learning here. So it's just, hmm. it was just right place, right time. A whole lot of dumb luck. I, it never should have happened. But I think that's the gamer's heart, right? Hmm. Like you just too much of a geek to not know you're, you can't do this and you're not supposed to do this. So you just right. do it. And, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, there's just, I, there's so many tales I could make your ears bleed. <laughs> you know, just um, a life, a, a really incredibly blessed life with, with so many yeah. incredible experiences because of gaming, right. because of that game. Huh. No, that's that's really interesting. Like it's, I sometimes I, I worry about my own career and like I, I, I job jump from one to the next and I don't really know. Yeah, I, I kind of resonate with some of the things you're saying, mm-hmm. like. I, I want to feel useful, feel serviceable. I don't want to make rich people richer, mm-hmm. but still trying to find that path is, it can be difficult and scary, but yeah, it gives me a lot of courage to hear your story and like kind of what you've gone through and everything. So don't get me wrong. There was a ton of suffering in oh, there okay. yeah. because a lot of times when things don't work out, yeah. I, um, I got really, really sick. I have Graves disease. And when I was mm. diagnosed, the bottom fell out of my world. And when you mm. work for yourself, there's no safety. Yeah, yeah. And so I went through periods where I pretty much lost everything because oh, there wow. was, I was incapacitated. I was bedridden for months. I had to learn how to walk again. Like oh, it just mm. was, there were parts of this where I thought, what the heck have I done? Mm-hmm. It would have been so much easier just to have stayed with the bank. Mm. I had a you know, guaranteed career benefits would have been taken care of for life. Right. But when you have that sense of purpose, and I, I wonder, um, Sean and Quab, if mm-hmm. if you are experiencing in this pandemic, in the great pause, mm-hmm. yeah. a heightened sense of needing that sense of purpose that mm-hmm. after what we've been through, it's not enough to just earn a living. I feel like I've I've had that feeling pre-pandemic. I am sure. It's yeah, been Sean accelerated. has. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's been accelerated <laughs> since that. But yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know how I really feel pre and post pre and post pandemic about like how that's changed. I think I've that drive's kind of just always been there. Maybe it's gotten a little louder because there's not as many distractions. Yeah. But yeah, it's kind of just yeah. always been there. That's fair. Well, I know when I met you, Sean, there mm-hmm. was definitely, I think this is why we clicked. Mm. I recognized that in mm. you. Yeah. You were definitely a fellow Better World Scout. I could see <laughs> that immediately. Yeah. And it's hard to have that unsettled soul because it's not an easy path. But right. the one thing I would say is trust your gut. Mm-hmm. It's going to take you where you need to be. It doesn't mean it's going to be smooth or easy. But when you have that burning, that sense mm-hmm. of calling within you, that's there for a reason. Right. And you have a set of gifts and you may not always be clear about how those are going to articulate as, you know, earning a living to have a life. Mm-hmm. That balance gets a little wonky. But at the end of the day, knowing what I do about you, I suspect you're in for something really <laughs> amazing. Oh, appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a little bit of that is this podcast and just yeah. like doing something 
it, it, it definitely like more more of my energy has has been focused on the podcast since the pandemic started and it's been like you know that one outlet that i can still mm-hmm. connect with my friends connect with people do something meaningful put something out there that's not just another facebook post or twitter post right it's like yeah. something more authentic i feel um yeah that more more I think that's the great calling right now is that sense of authenticity and how do you honor that and Mm. still keep a roof over your head Mm -hmm. yeah no that's a good question I don't know I also oh me oh well (laughs) that was beautiful I I vacillate I I really try not to be nihilistic (laughs) (laughs) that's a challenge nowadays yeah that's my major (laughs) challenge uh but no no definitely a focus on like actually contributing uh yeah increasing the universe's levels of good has always been kind of like an interesting part to me but to actually pursue it Mm. is something that yeah that drive has increased definitely with the um with the pandemic so and yeah i think it's like kindred spirits kind of find each other like oh your spirit magnets absolutely Mm -hmm. um you know the most powerful piece of advice anyone has ever given me Mm -hmm. wasn't just learning to ask really good questions it was learning to ask two questions Mm -hmm. in particular um we get stuck in this thing called the problem addiction loop where we're we're always trying to solve you know, poverty, hunger, racism, Mm -hmm. um, misogyny, Mm -hmm. like I mean you name it. We've Mm -hmm. we've lived through every major um, reckoning mm-hmm. in the last 12 months yeah. um, all at once. And that's massive. But there was a, a moment where somebody gave me the gift of a pause mm-hmm. about 15 years ago. And he said, positive flip, get out of the problem addiction loop and ask these two questions. What works? How can we do more of that? Oh, okay. It changed everything because instead of saying, how am I going to solve the homelessness issue here mm-hmm. in Windsor? How am I going to solve the pollution issue? What it did is it allowed me as a solutions journalist, mm-hmm. which is different than just normal journalism. Solutions mm-hmm. journalism is focused on going out and looking for those what's working. How can we do more of it moments? Mm-hmm. And so my job became to use the gift of the Internet to connect with kindred spirits all over the place to say, wow, look at what they did in Baltimore to solve this. Mm-hmm. Look at what they did in Japan. like, And to make it a calling to go out and um, discover and harvest as much of these you know, knowledge products as you can about building resilient communities, building you know, wellness um, into the fabric our, of our community and our economy mm-hmm. and then turning those things into actual products, knowledge products. When you've got that, instead of a problem that you're solving in the silo, mm-hmm. you're connecting all those silos and you've got this massive pool of know-how and the will to solve the problem and resourcefulness and creativity and it moves mountains Mm -hmm. there are so many cool things being done um for instance around mental health Mm. there are groups in the u.s that have trained their police force how to respond with compassion to people experiencing a mental health crisis Mm -hmm. because we've seen how that story ends time and time again still in this day the number of people being killed Mm -hmm. and there are these wonderful learning opportunities all throughout the world, that if we take those and say, okay, this is what we know what works, how can we then port this over to other places, scale mm-hmm. this up and share it more broadly? So that was, for me, that was a game changer. And 
instead of looking at what's my next job, it was where do I feel compelled to serve? Hmm. And again, that doesn't always connect beautifully with the the almighty buck, but Mm -hmm. I do still have faith that I was given certain gifts and cravings (laughs) for a reason. So, yeah. Okay. That's like, yeah, this concept of solution, solution journalism is really interesting to me because I think a lot of the problems with science or even economic um, like findings of like actually is communicating Mm -hmm. that message to everyone so that everyone can get on board. Um, And like solutions journalism sounds like a really cool, like uh, an absolutely necessary uh, like intermediary, like to share that information. Right. If you look at the kneecap job that's being done on the media, Mm -hmm. the last couple, well, the last four or five years, you know, fake news and Mm -hmm. how journalists are the bad guys, you know, there, there, you go back to the why. Hmm. And so often it's the need to monetize yeah. news. Yeah. Right. And so if it bleeds, it leads, you know, that mentality, I was so lucky being given 10 years um, to, to have the gift of working with CBC mm-hmm. radio, CBC, that network, because we didn't have that mandate. Mm-hmm. It was our job to tell stories about community and get into the human interest. And so I was really lucky that I had a proving ground where I had a bit of latitude. But I met these people, particularly a group in Chicago, that this is where I first heard about solutions journalism. There's a woman named Karen Crane, who um, Chicago, one of my favorite cities in the world, um, is just has a lot of really tough problems to oh, solve. Yeah. And one of the things, yeah, one of the things they recognized was by taking a page out of Mr. Rogers' book, <laughs> you could get an awful lot done. That Fred knew what he was talking about, and he basically said that you cannot dislike or hate a person whose story you've heard. Mm-hmm. And so they had this, um, they created this event that was basically built around a moment of connection over the kitchen table. And this is actually something I've spent my life doing online is, you know, calling my workspaces digital kitchen tables. Mm-hmm. Put your elbows on and let's talk. Let's break bread. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because that's the place where we we stop being political positions and spin and we, you know, we tend to be our most human selves at the kitchen table. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyways, this is what they did in Chicago. They got these diverse groups of people together that typically were hammering each other over the head in um, like city hall, in the boardrooms and places where everybody had their own bias, their own sets of goals and agenda. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they just sat down and listened to each other and told stories. And, and I'm sure you've seen lots of these videos on Facebook and the internet where you'll see instances where in, in Denmark, they got this group of people together in a room. Some of them were former convicts, some were um, business people, like just about, about as diverse a group of people as you could possibly imagine. You think there is no way anybody in this room has got common ground. Mm-hmm. And they started asking a set of simple questions. How many of you are stepfathers? Wow. How many of you had your heart broken? And they started simple. And eventually everybody was standing in the center of the room together. Mm-hmm. Because when you make it your goal to find common ground, mm-hmm. you're going to find it. Yeah. Hmm. And so with solutions journalism, the purpose isn't go out and find the story that's going to get you the most, like clickbait for the six o'clock yeah. news. It's what can we do to find and tell those stories in a way that allows us to spread those elsewhere, to share them in other communities and scale that up. 
And it's just this virtuous cycle of, of learning and sharing and doing better. And that to me is whether or not I ever make a lot of money doing it, that feels like a worthy cause. Yeah. Hmm. No, that's, that's amazing. That's a net benefit for the universe. Uh, for sure. Because yeah. <laughs> we know we've been playing a lot of zero sum games in the last five years. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I just, uh, I, I, I won't get down on a, on my nihilism <laughs> kick, but it's like, <laughs> Feel free. It's more the incentives, like you said, and it's specifically mm. with news, even no matter yeah. what your political ideology, like the systems that we have now divide more than anything. Mm-hmm. And oh, absolutely. So, like to have solutions journalism reach more people, it's like mm. the systems are built in such a way that people don't actually want answers. <laughs> well, instead of putting people in the center of the table, you're putting the issue there. Mm-hmm. And it removes the positions and spin. We get so entrenched in yeah. that. Yeah. 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 Just trying to think of a way to fix it. And I, I, I just get down. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, look at what's happening right now. Um, there are people that will say, my God, this is the worst thing we've ever been through. This mm-hmm. this should never have happened in our <laughs> lifetime. How can we ever recover? But you know what? This is the best damn reset we ever could have had. Mm-hmm. Because there is nothing that gets you clear about your priorities and most especially about what doesn't matter mm-hmm. than being stripped down to your core emotionally, mentally, psychologically, Earth, yeah. morally. Like, I mean, we, we have been bankrupted at every level. And it's the one lesson I learned when I was fighting cancer. Yeah. Nothing mm-hmm. gets you clear about what matters than finding out what doesn't. Yeah. You get hyper-focused. And we've got that gift right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful framing. Like, yeah. That, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think it, this, at least for myself, this is like the biggest thing, challenge I've seen. Um, yeah. It, and yeah, I can't even speak to like what you've been through, but like it, that, that was absolutely true. Like, I was questioning pretty much every single institution that, <laughs> or every single assumption that I had, you know, kind of thing. And, uh, but how often do we make the assumption that it's somebody else's problem oh, to yeah. solve? Oh, the government, the yeah. government mm-hmm. needs to take care yeah. of that. They screwed it up. And look at how many people are taking personal responsibility now at the community level. We have mm-hmm. community citizenship, citizen governance like never before, mm-hmm. because people are so completely engaged. It was a hell of a wake up call. It was a beautiful wake up call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I share some of Quab's like uh, I don't know if it's nihilism or what it is. Maybe it's from my my technological background or just you know worrying about things like Google and Facebook, like their their capacity to eat up all of this um, ad revenue and to direct eyeballs to their attention. Like they're so their algorithms are so good at it now that it it leaves very little room for, for the real journalism that you're kind of talking about, like the, the nonpartisan, just facts-based journalism. So I, I, I wonder like how we can kind of make sure that there's a model that kind of supports that kind of journalism. I think, well, there, there is one. Solutions Journalism has a vast and, and very well-established network now. Mm-hmm. There's a, a whole website that you might want to take a peek at at some yeah. point because 
it's almost like crowdsourced science yeah. where people are that crowdfunding model that um, that crowdfunding model of citizen engagement and community building is well and truly at play with solutions journalism and there's these people that do not work for the same media outlet at all mm -hmm. but they're crowdsourcing stories they're saying yeah. okay here's an area we want to focus on um, and actually I was given the same gentleman that taught me the art of busting out of the problem addiction loop and doing the positive flip and asking mm -hmm. those two questions also taught me um, to use a very neat convention called a scouting party. And that's what solutions journalism does best. You say, here's something we have a real interest in understanding and, and finding out what's working so we can bring that back. And so a scouting party is just saying, okay, here's this thing, go, see what you can find, come back and make stone soup. Mm -hmm. And so solutions journalism is doing that on a global scale. There's a lot of people that knock it because you get into this, you know, do-gooder mindset where we're very good at the name calling and us versus them. This sense of otherness and polarization is so entrenched right now, mm -hmm. but they don't care. They're just keeping their heads down. They're churning out these things. And it's like a knowledge factory of how to make your community healthier, happier, and, and resilient. Mm -hmm. Um and resilience is a tough thing right now, yeah. more than ever, I think. <laughs> For sure. But sure. to go back to the games, you yeah. know, have you, I don't, I'm curious to know if you, if you have both experienced this. Okay. But I think we've forgotten how to play. Okay. Let's get into it. That's an interesting yeah. And <laughs> I know um, as a gamer, mm -hmm. that is one of the things that I have valued the most. There's actually been a study that came out recently that showed that even though during lockdown, we can't get out and swallow up nature and have the connectedness mm -hmm. that our brains are reacting to games and virtual environments and ASMR, whether it's a nice virtual hearth or whatever it is, rainstorm in the very same way that we do when we're out doing a hike, it's kicking up the levels of endorphins and oxytocin mm -hmm. to, to healing, healing levels that are making us well. So the pandemic has brought a lot of people back to gaming to solve the problem. And I'm curious to know if you each have had that happen. Like, have you found yourself drawn more to gaming during lockdowns or? Yeah, for sure. For sure myself. Yeah. Cause um, before gaming was like, there was a weekly socializing uh, like board game group. We would all go to a restaurant mm -hmm. and play board games for, Oh, how cool. Yeah, it was great. It was absolutely great. And human connection. Yeah, human connection. So that like <laughs> and then also there was a weekly um event with like a language exchange. Again, it was human connection. Uh, mm -hmm. and like losing both of those was was rough. Um, but yeah. at least during the pandemic, uh we started like meeting online. I didn't know anything about like online board game websites that have like a whole lists of board games that you can play with people all around the world. So that's kept yeah i've so definitely been doing that go to club pogo club pogo <laughs> we'll add that one i'll check that one out as well currently using yeah. like board game arena and like tabletopia yeah. there's a bunch of different yeah, yeah so. lots of tabletop gaming online yeah, now. so it, that's been good yeah yeah so how about you sean have you been um yeah yes and no i mean like yeah so when i i, I heard that that we've forgotten how to play my my, my mind kind of went to the idea of like getting into board games initially like a few I don't know how many years back maybe five six years ago mm. uh when I was you know pre pre that you know in high school in my 20s whatever I'd played a lot of video games and 
a lot of online games, like you were mentioning World of Warcraft and things like that. And yeah, I, I mean, I kind of, I think I've, I felt like I've forgotten how to play games with my friends, not in that virtual space where, you know, the buttons to press, you know, the things to do, but you're not really having a lot of like human interactions, right? Yeah. yeah. You're not even seeing each the other. The cues. So the, like nonverbal cues and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And um, so I, I kind of started reaching out with friends and stuff and, and finding other groups and things, trying to find like that, what eventually became that board game group. And it was nice that like, I had to kind of like teach myself again, like how to <laughs> play with people in real life and like all the little like subtle social nuances, especially with like the secret identity games and stuff. Like oh that. yeah. Like, they were really yeah. good at like teaching yourself again, like how to interact with people in real life, like in, in social situations. And uh, yeah, it's been a, it, it was a great resource and it was sad to it to go virtual because now like i've got like a i have a uh basically like a dnd group that that we were playing pre-pandemic now we're playing post-pandemic and i found it really hard like i've struggled a lot with playing it virtually because the reason i I liked doing it in the first place was i got together with friends Mm. we we saw each other face to face we just had those interactions and and doing it virtually you kind of just lost something so it was really hard to like Uh, keep that going in a virtual you know i i learned something about that this week sean there's a group that does um weekly uh calls on linkedin live videos Mm -hmm. and it's neurohacks and they were talking about like we're always hearing about you know zoom fatigue i've been a remote Mm -hmm. worker for for decades (laughs) but I actually learned something that made complete sense about why that's an issue. Mm-hmm. If you think about when we're doing online videos, you can never lock eyes. No, right, no. To look at you, I have to look at the camera and then I can no longer see yep. you. Mm-hmm. For you to look at me, vice versa. So, and there is um, a process in the brain that needs that because we mm-hmm. actually regulate each other's nervous systems. Mm-hmm. We have to sync up. We sync with each other. There is an exchange, Mm -hmm. a neuro exchange that has this profound physiological effect. And it's the first time I kind of went, huh, like I've used Zoom forever and I find it's quite effective, but Mm -hmm. I didn't think about that one thing and that there's actually a huge downside to, like you said, the online gaming. It's it's not the same. Having said that, working for a remote company, we found some pretty fun ways around that. Just saying. Yeah, I know. Scavenger, scavenger hunts are pretty fun. You know, <laughs> who's got a toothbrush in their office? Uh, who drags their cat? Or... <laughs> uh, so, so, so you're you're years ahead of us. Yeah. Like, yeah. Figuring this thing out because my my virtual team, like, we're still getting the ropes. Yeah, we're we're not there yet. It's still <laughs> an awkward phase. Yeah, no, consulting definitely would be, would be key. <laughs> Uh, that reminds me, there's um, College Humor has a show called Game Changer, <laughs> where every single episode, like they have three three contestants on, but they don't know what the game is, and you have to play the game to figure out what the game is, and it's a different game. Every oh, time. oh, that's very meta. Yeah, <laughs> and it was it's cool because um, they've been doing it during the pandemic, so I think there was kind of a game where they had to like go and run, like a scavenger hunt, like you said, um, mm-hmm. and had to go and run and create things on the fly. <laughs> Uh, we, my day job is with a company called Inspire Hub, and it's a technology firm. And we actually have a mandatory fun officer. And I'll tell oh. you, it's, it's good when you make that a mandate. Yeah, that's important. Uh, yeah. Is there like an election? Like how? How does? Yeah. What are the qualifications? There was just this one girl that was really good at kicking our butt, and making mm. sure that we were doing things that had that we had fun injected. Ah. And at one point, there um. 
our, our leader and a couple of our staffers went to this Boy Scouts of America conference. Boy Scouts were one of our clients, mm. are one of our clients. And they decided they were going to go climb a mountain. <laughs> These wow. women climbed up this mountain and they said something about it was like a grade one level. And they thought, oh, like grade one children, but it was like, nah. Yeah, it was massive. So there's, yeah, I mean, just that kind of stuff where your, your, your sense of audacity and outrageous, and just the spirit of play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Back in the late 90s, one of my gurus, Mark Pesci, is an Australian who was responsible for the creation of VRML and um, just some of our, you know, earth-shattering um, online immersive technologies. Mm. He wrote a book called The Playful World, How Technology is Transforming Our Imagination. Okay, looking it up. And he talked about this very thing. And I think I think it's like 99 cents for the Kindle version now mm-hmm. on, on Amazon because it's so old, but... <clears throat> There's such relevance in what mm-hmm. he's talking about. And it's it's that resolve that we have to learn how to play again. The playful brain is the brain that's very creative in a business setting and problem mm-hmm. solving with the kind of massive things as a society that we're mm-hmm. facing. So, yeah, I think gamers, gamers know where it's at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've heard you refer to yourself as a gamer previously in this conversation, which is perfect because that's one of our questions is, do you consider yourself a gamer? Um, and like, so what do you kind of feel about like gamer culture in general, like that tag and like how it's associated with people kind of alluded to that a little bit in your previous answer. It's so weird to be asked that because there are very few people that know this about me. There are very few people that know I'm a I'm turning 58 in a couple (laughs) of weeks. You know, it's not exactly my demographic. You know, a 58-year-old woman isn't the kind of person you'd see out, you know, um, tanking a mob (laughs) in Lord of the Rings Online or Rift or, you know, Elder Scrolls Online or, you know, Witcher, you know, you name it. I got lucky because for me, I fell into games by watching my kids play certain things and seeing the stuff that Mm -hmm. I was able to use as asset building for kids at risk. Yeah, and along the way, I discovered this absolute joy and delight because I'm a world builder. I think one of my big aha moments was when Second Life came out hmm. because I know a lot of people were thinking like, oh, unlimited sex and clubbing. <laughs> and I was going, wow, I can build my own stuff and sell it for real money and right. it costs me nothing. Yeah. Are uh, you kidding yeah. me? So <laughs> it just, you know, the economics spin yeah. on that, but it just... Because I'm a storyteller, it was another way for me to express myself. And while people wouldn't call that a traditional game, there were a lot of games within that game. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are things like, it, like I'll go to one of my favorites, Lord of the Rings Online, because I am such a fan girl. Okay. <laughs> when it comes to getting to meet Gandalf or Striker, <laughs> you have this moment where you you let yourself, give uh-huh. yourself up to absolute suspension of disbelief. Uh, yeah. And at that moment, you're just there, like you, this dissociative mm-hmm. moment where you forget about where you really are and your mm-hmm. brain is right there. I think that's incredible. So mm-hmm. I am absolutely a gamer, but it's not something I talk about because you asked about the culture and yeah. how it's perceived. Mm-hmm. I hate to admit it, but I feel a massive sense of shame. Oh, interesting. I feel like I'm going to be judged. Mm-hmm. And so I decided I'm going to turn that on its head mm-hmm. and in... <laughs> I was doing um, 
I was being interviewed for a story in the Wall Street Journal back um, less than a year ago. And this woman was one of the senior editors for Wall Street. She was a bureau chief for a long time. Mm -hmm. She's my age. Mm -hmm. And we got talking. She was trying to understand how um, like gamers tend to be really productive assets in the remote workforce in mm -hmm. helping build mm -hmm. that because of the creative way we approach things. So she was asking me all these questions, trying to unpack it. And I said, tell you what. Why don't you and me and a couple of us girls get together and we'll go in and we'll <clears throat> kick some pixel butt <laughs> and you can see firsthand what it feels like to be in there. Because when you have jobs where we're we've always been seen as these, you know, businesswoman, very respectable, mm -hmm. you know, critical thinking. And you've got this this um, stereotype, mm -hmm. this this ridiculous avatar mm -hmm. over yeah. you. Mm -hmm. That the notion of going in and just liberating yourself and, um, you know, beating the crap out of something with no consequences, yeah. <laughs> it's such a great stress relief. Yeah. And she got so excited about oh, that. Man. So we had the same reaction. It was actually a great question. That's mm -hmm. a really good question to ask because I don't know how you feel. I don't know if there's a double standard, mm -hmm. if men feel it less mm -hmm. or if you feel it as much as we do. But I do sense at a personal level that a 58-year-old woman is not supposed to enjoy this stuff nearly as much as I do. <laughs> yeah, it seems like that's a common thing. But I remember uh, like when I was learning a lot about uh, mobile development, and specifically I was really interested in mobile games, and there was yeah. a lot of news coming out. It was like, no, the, the, the idea of a gamer in your head is completely wrong. Like the people, the demographics are completely changing. And yes. Well, everybody thinks it's this guy in his exactly. basement. He's 45 yeah. years old, still in his parents' basement, has no job. And yeah, exactly. Smoke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but no, it's, it's yeah. yeah, I think there's like mothers with like young kids uh, who are yeah. and like it's and like it's yeah, just completely it's completely different. Everyone likes games. <laughs> mm -hmm. and Well, that's just it. It's, it's how we were raised. Yeah. So what is it that suddenly puts this negative spin on it? Yeah. This, this sense of shame or um, that we're supposed to apologize for that as we get older? Like, it, yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but if I see a puddle, I'm jumping in that sucker. <laughs> and everyone after it, like it's just, it's that sense yeah. of letting ourselves giving ourselves permission to express ourselves without fear of judgment. And mm -hmm. you, you mentioned that at the top of the call about this sense of authenticity, trying yeah. to find your true self is harder than it should be, mm -hmm. partly because we've got all this baggage on what we yep. should do, what mm -hmm. we should think, how we should be seen. Mm -hmm. That's crap. Yeah, no, uh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, no, we, yeah, we're, we're, we put ourselves in our, in boxes. Society tells us to get in a box yeah. and, I don't know. Uh, there's like a really good song that's like, I get out, I get out of all your boxes. Like just, it, 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 it's much more fun out there. <laughs> I think if we think back to when we were at our best mm -hmm. as kids playing, mm -hmm. there's, it was where we, we, for the first time, we didn't have the word for it then, but we knew what it felt like flow. Oh mm -hmm. yeah. 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 yeah that dissociative state where you are completely in the moment and yeah. that is your real world. It isn't an alternate reality. Mm. It is the reality. Yeah. And it's, I, I just think going back to neuroplasticity, this, this ability to, for mm. our, the cognitive part of who we are to process things in such an imaginative, playful level opens us up in so many great ways, in business, in our personal lives, because we're so damn stifled. Mm -hmm. That just lets us go and be kids again. That's a really good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, yeah, there's a, I think there's a lot of reasons why 
people may not want to be associated with the term gamer. I I think like you're saying, like that sense of play in society, like that it feels like that sense of play should there, there's an end date. Like once you reach oh, a certain yeah, age yeah. that you, you shouldn't be so interested in games anymore because games and play and all that stuff, they're not a productive part yeah. of society, right? It, it's, it's well, we need as, to take it back. Yeah, yeah. Let's just make a pack. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think <laughs> Thank you, swear. we're going to do this. Yeah. Games yeah. have contributed to the GDP as well. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, amen. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. I, I, I really like that question because I think we've gotten a lot of different answers. Like some people like that term some people don't some people consider themselves a gamer some people like to play games but they don't like to consider themselves a gamer like it's a very weird psychological battlefield of yeah. like what's what's appropriate what's not and that's why i kind of dig it yeah well I'll, I'll use the example that i gave earlier of second life how that to me was this massive aha moment it's like you're going to let me go create a business and make money and it's not going to cost me anything? Really? <laughs> Sign me up. But there is such a massive negative stereotype about it. Like, what an idiot you are if you're in there yeah. because of the, the perception. But, you know, the, that that spin doesn't have to be spin I take on myself. I go in now as a hermit and just build to, <laughs> to give me a sense of peace and creativity. Yeah. But where I found for me as a woman, as an older woman, the real power of games was right after 9-11, mm. I was in Boston on business mm -hmm. and I landed in Logan airport and it was maybe a month or two after mm. um, what had happened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was terrified. And I, it was the first time I'd gone on subways, but like there was a lot of firsts for me. And I, mm. I got this sense of feeling very brave and look at me and I'm doing this by myself and, and I'm okay. And I've got this. And at one point I was sitting at inside of the museum of fine arts, writing postcards, looking like the perfect little tourist. And I got, I can't remember the word, um, marked. <laughs> and these, this guy came up and started asking me questions and I'm thinking, well, it'd be impolite not to answer. Oh. So, long story short he and his protege on the other side followed me down into the subway and i was attacked oh no whoa and and this happened on a subway platform the day that gay marriages were sanctioned the first gay weddings happened it was amazing downtown was swarmed mm. but there was so much angst and anger mm. it was just a seething melting pot of vitriol and so I'm in this subway station down on this platform and there were no less than 50 people within 10 feet of me, all packed around me, watching this guy attack me and break my hand. Oh, and wow. they stood there and watched it happen. Yeah. And there was one guy that was like, he was like almost seven feet tall. This guy looked like he was a, a sports, really well built, but everybody was so afraid to step in. Yeah. And this, and uh, I managed to jump on the subway. Uh, I'll cut the story short. It people, I fell in the stairs, was was crying, begging for help, and people were literally stepping over top oh, of no. me. Nobody helped. So that was a really traumatizing moment in my life, to say the least. And I didn't know how I'd ever get out of that, but I I was determined I was not going to become one of those people that simply crawled into a shell and didn't trust anybody and stopped living. <laughs> and the thing that changed it for me was a game mm. it was going into lord of the rings online and learning how to tank and choosing, <laughs> choosing a, yeah just choosing a, a character that allowed me to be like 
right up front and personal, beating the crap out of mobs, like mob bosses. Hmm. And you can't stand back with a bow and arrow and pretend like you're right in the middle. And I remember being terrified and I'm thinking, it's just pixels. They can't really hurt me. Hmm. But what it did is each time I did it, going back again to neuroplasticity, was actually rewiring my own brain. And I became brave. And I convinced myself I could do this stuff. And my brain didn't know the difference. Yeah. It was just a game, but it completely changed my life. Wow. I gave my life back to me instead of having anxiety attacks and not being able to walk out my front door. Mm-hmm. I was out in the world again hmm. because of a game. Yeah. So yeah, we need to take it back. Yeah, that's amazing. You actually had Justin on your, I think it was Justin was on your yeah. last um, episode in the beginning of March. And he had some really interesting observations about sort of that the the drama that comes along for the ride. And you were talking yes. about the stereotypes. Mm, yeah. There is definitely an element, and I can be included in that at times, where you become very emboldened behind a mask yeah. mm-hmm. and start behaving in inappropriate ways because you figure there really aren't any consequences. Mm-hmm. And while it's just a game and you're not thinking about the people on the other side of the screen. Mm-hmm. But MMOs and any kind of interactive places can become very toxic environments yeah. that back up on you in a real way. And I just, I was really fascinated by the conversation the two of you had with Justin about that and some of the things he was describing about how that plays out. Right. So there's definitely downsides, but I think there's more upsides. That, yeah, that's a whole other very interesting discussion. Like, because that's the thing, like, I'm, I'm probably a more soft boy. I'm a more sensitive dude. But, uh, <laughs> but like games allow you to express those stressful feelings. Like I've, yes. I've very loudly yelled at like my dear friend, uh, at, at, at a, <laughs> in a crowded restaurant, um, while we were playing a hit and roll game, <laughs> uh, which is just not something I do. I did. I had no, I wasn't thinking about the consequences at all. I was just very upset. <laughs> But like we're still friends, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's it is interesting. That, cortisol, cortisol fuels. Yeah, yeah. The, the <laughs> balance between those things of getting those because yeah, I'm probably a fairly repressed person too. But like to let to let those emotions out, I feel mm-hmm. like that's actually a great upside, isn't yeah. it? Because and this is one of the reasons that that environments like I'll go back to Second Life because it's a great mm-hmm. example of how much bad press it gets for a good reason often. Yeah. Um everybody like it's associated with just you know it's a big sex fueled Mm -hmm. club clubbing party Mm -hmm. but there is something to be said for having an environment where you can go in and explore the darker sides of yourself or i say dark and that's in itself a very judgmental term yeah we've all got very complex multi-layered we're like onions there's just so many layers to all of us Mm -hmm. and a lot of us only ever give ourselves permission to express a couple of those layers Mm -hmm. so when you go into an online environment like that where it is safe to explore a different side of your psyche or you know whatever it is that you consider to be you know taboo or just Mm -hmm. in in your worldview something coloring outside of the lines Mm -hmm. that's a great place to do it I think the problem is because it becomes so real mm. that it's really hard for people to shut it yeah, off. Right. And so the example you gave where you're out in public and you just sort of, you know, let it <laughs> yeah. a lot of us have those moments because yeah. we get to that point where we drop the guard and we do become somewhat different people mm-hmm. or at least different in the way that we interact. Our, our rules change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so um, like, 
recently like these days do you play a lot of world building games still have you gotten into like things like minecraft or like what what kind of things are you kind of delving yeah, I, i've just i've gone back to it because for yeah. the past five years i have been a certified and very unhealthy workaholic mm, yeah. um my kids are grown i'm a single girl so mm. i've got way too much time <laughs> on my hands and i mm-hmm. so i'll just like i'll work constantly not seven days a week around the clock and so i got very very sick cancer put me on my butt Mm -hmm. you'd think Mm -hmm. i would have learned then Mm -hmm. but no this october i had a full-on crash Mm -hmm. and going back to um we talked about stigma Mm -hmm. it's really hard for people to articulate mental health Mm -hmm. um challenges with what we've all been through Mm -hmm. And I really, I, I hit a wall. And so I have basically since October been doing breathing lessons Hmm. where I'm having to learn to be a more complete person again and trying to remember the things that I used to find joy in. And one of Mm -hmm. the big ones for me definitely was the gaming. And Mm -hmm. so it was interesting to see what it was that bubbled up first for me. And there were two, there were two right away. One was Lord of the Rings Online, and it has a very specific function for me, and that is this sense of exploration. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not doing world building there. Mm -hmm. I'm exploring. Mm -hmm. It's a very engaging storyline where my mind is challenged, and it's just beautiful. It's a beautiful landscape at a Mm -hmm. time when I can't be out there. The other one definitely was, it was Second Life. Um, like many people, I learned the hard way that socializing is not for me in there. I'm a, a bird hermit. I've got a little place where I go and build. And what I've been building lately is this massive feast. It's a table that has games built into it that um, I don't know, Sean, if you've seen any of the there was a game that I was engaging um, friends in on my Facebook wall when I got cancer. It was the question game, the good question project. Okay. And I tossed a question out there, like started with, you know, what would your nine-year-old self be most proud of you for right Whoa. now? And then Saturday morning cartoons, favorite Star Trek episode, you know, what's mm-hmm. the thing that you've always wanted to do that you've still not done? Like there's like, I've, I had a hundred questions that were there. And so in second life, I've been building this table, sort of like the Chicago project with the purpose of healing um, this massive political rift, a lot of us feel where there's the us versus them, it's broken families, mm-hmm. it's broken friends. Mm-hmm. And I said, why don't we break bread virtually together and use the question game and a few other things to start having conversations across the digital kitchen table. Uh, I was coming back to that. Okay. So I spent my evenings in there building um, chocolate that doesn't make me fat and <laughs> <laughs> just, this experience. So yeah, for me, the world building is a huge part of it. And that may be not traditional gaming, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. No, no. no those are yeah. The two. Those are yeah, the two. that's an interesting yeah. even question. Like you, you putting those in two separate places, but it, I, I think that's interesting with games where you can create, like I've, I've been trying to struggle even with like the past few years, even before the pandemic, trying to get back into a creative bent. I mean, to a certain extent, I suppose this podcast is a creative endeavor, but I mostly just show up. Uh, but yeah, the um, yeah, the creative and like just let's explore. Like those games can yeah can let you do both, and that's uh, it's an interesting idea. Yeah. We need to be surrounded by beautiful things. <laughs> it triggers endorphins and oxytocin, and that's a beautiful cocktail for healing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think games serve a, a wonderful purpose to that extent. I'm a storyteller. And so I, I always craved being surrounded by 
that kind of environment. Like I would have favorite places specifically in Lord of the Rings online where there'd be this gorgeous garden and I would mm -hmm. go and I'd, I'd actually write just to be in that virtual environment felt oh, real. Wow. And it unleashed this swath of creativity mm -hmm. as a storyteller that turned into something that, you know, also paid the bills. Yeah, so that's um, I think we, we're so good at compartmentalizing, aren't we? <laughs> mm -hmm. We like everything in it's but like these friends belong in this yep, box. Right. This part of my life belongs over here. And you, I think part of the trick to becoming whole again mm -hmm. is to ask ourselves the question, how can these things be more integrated, whether it's, you know, the online friendship connection. And I, I mean, I think we we've just really broken ourselves into pieces. And I think healing is just saying, what is it that brings me joy? How do I take that back? And and can I think for me, it comes down to the question I face most right now mm -hmm. um, is how can I bring my whole self to work? Hmm. I'm an all or nothing kind of girl. It sounds like. <laughs> and at work, we've been, at work, we've been taught to be people. You don't, you, you don't show your emotions. Yeah. You do your yeah. nine to five. You know, there's this professional image that you're supposed to um, convey at all times. And at work, you can be the funny, silly, crazy, unglued person that you really are. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a recognition now in the workplace that that our humanity is an asset, not a deficit. Mm -hmm. And I think gaming for me gives me permission to um, be more creative at work. And uh, actually, I'm lucky because the people I work with are all massive gamers and geeks. So <laughs> yay me. Yeah, that's a, that's a but yeah, I I, I think bringing our whole selves to work and bringing and, and the same thing at home, not hiding that stuff from our family that we can. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I'm off on a tangent. I'm going to no. shut that down. No, that's, that's good. That's good. <laughs> you can tell I've had too much time in my head. <laughs> fine. We're all start for a conversation. It's great. <laughs> okay. So besides Second Life, or maybe it is Second Life, was like if you met somebody uh, on the street and they asked you, a game. Uh, they ask you your game recommendation. Wow, this is a really weird way to ask this question. I'm all over the place. Would you like um, some suggestions? Yeah, I was basically. What what game would you recommend to somebody? Oh, I, I've got a handful that I just love. Okay. Um, Guild Wars Two, um, Star Trek Online, not so much anymore. But I really liked oh, that for a time. Yeah. Rift. Rift was off the hook because it was mm, gorgeous yeah. and creative, and they yeah. give you these massive. Um, entire sims that you can go and actually build in in a way you can't elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So they really capture the sense of world building within a game like Lord of the Rings where you don't get it, you really get it with Rift. It's wonderful. Terra, Terra, T-E-R-A, which I think has gone by the wayside. Witcher, yes. Yo, Witcher. Um, uh, Neverwinter, um, Arc Age, Vikings, um, any of the Lovecraft stuff. But yeah. I think... Guild Wars for sure is a big one and Rift. Those are two huge ones for me that just hmm. um really filled um a hole. There was, there was there was one that I loved and it wasn't it wasn't a, sh a game you could share together but it was called hmm. Dear Esther. Oh okay. yeah, I've heard about it. Tons yeah. of awards, absolutely yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. I cannot play it because I get horrible motion sickness. Oh. I got vertigo so bad I fell out of my chair. Oh, no. <laughs> wow. There's just certain games where the navigation mechanics mm -hmm. really rock my world in a not good <laughs> okay. way. But yeah, for sure. Like, if have you gone into Guild Wars 2 at all? Or oh, 
Elder Scrolls Online, anything to do with that. Yeah. 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 Okay. That yeah. Be... Good ones for sure. Uh, what about you? What would you suggest um, I try? Who? Quab, do you have any suggestions? Ooh, okay. I mean, <laughs> I, think on this. I haven't, honestly, I haven't been playing much besides like, um, well, okay, Threes. Uh, it's a phone game. Um, it's, really? Yeah, yeah. I've, that's mostly where my time goes if it's not on like board game. <laughs> my daughter really gets a lot of enjoyment out of the phone games as well. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of neat because they're portable and you can take them right. with you wherever you go. And so. it was like what you were talking about, like and with a lot of the board or a lot of the phone games they're designed for flow like the sense of flow which yeah can be a, a gift and a curse <laughs> yeah, yeah. but yeah threes uh, and sean i definitely would suggest checking out pogo because pogo. they have they've scaled back a lot because once um flash oh, went by yeah, the website yeah. Virtually 90% of their catalog disappeared. There was no way that they could rewrite everything. They spent a couple of years trying to rewrite everything ahead of yeah. that. But mm -hmm. so it's a really different experience. It's, it's but all of those traditional tabletop board games like Scrabble, Monopoly, um, every it, um, Yahtzee, like massive multiplayer, mm -hmm. um, the card games, Battleship, like it's a great place to go kick butt. And you can play against robots. So if you're like me and you become a bit of a socially challenged hermit, <laughs> yeah. you can think you're playing with somebody, but they're not going to sass you back. <laughs> That's good. Okay, yeah, I'll check out Pogo. Uh, yeah, I was just going to mention Beat Saber if you haven't. I, I don't know how access how much What's access it called? do you have the beat I, I mean the VR might be an issue with the nav <laughs> yeah the I was gonna go say oh, sensation. No. It's, a, it's a VR experience, so I don't know how you feel about VR games and it and depends what, it yeah. depends on the headset and the gear. Oh, okay, great. I love VR. I used to build in VR. Oh, that awesome. was where I did oh, those yeah. teething. That's interesting that Dear Esther so, so had that effect then. Yeah, that's wild. VR is like the merger of like a dance dance revolution kind of game with lightsabers. You're basically cutting through these blocks on a beat and and that that feeling of flow i've never gotten a more profound feeling of flow than from this game it's just like, oh wow it's just it, and, and it's a great extra it's a has Cardio. been a great <laughs> benefit this pandemic it's stuck at home not not a real uh access to exercise equipment and things like that i'm telling you it's pandemic great, yeah. carb coma has not been my friend so this <laughs> sounds like it's right up my alley <laughs> yeah it's been, it's been great and 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 it's so I, I always just think like halfway through the game like if anybody just walks into the house and sees me right now i look completely <laughs> insane i'm i'm swinging at invisible blocks and nobody can see just like furiously there's sweat pouring <laughs> off of me but i'm just having like the most fun and it just it's so it, it's so contextual like you have to see what i'm seeing or it just doesn't <laughs> make any sense well that's, that's the thing with vr is you mm -hmm. really really are in the middle of it yeah and it really shows the absurdity of games like if you're outside of it you see like this the silliness oh, but man. it's so the person inside is having so we're, much fun. we're all already living in our own realities it's fine <laughs> you know this isn't this isn't a game application of it but it it was an incredible use of vr there was a Japanese woman whose young daughter died. Mm. This little girl was maybe five or six. She wasn't very old. Mm. And she was grieving heavily. And there were, uh, there was, I, I can't recall who it was that did it, but it was like a lab, a group of specialists. 
recreated her daughter oh, in VR. Wow. That's... And she was actually in interacting with her and the little girl was asking her question. It wasn't just mm-hmm. VR, it was AI yeah. on mm-hmm. steroids. And I was on my knees weaving. Yeah. But this woman, it was such a healing moment for her because she never got a chance to say goodbye to this little girl. Mm-hmm. And it just, uh, it, when you think about the application of some of the technologies we we're using for play, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's some really cool stuff ahead. Yeah. I think we're just scratching the surface of for this. Sure. And, and VR is really, it hasn't caught on. It, yeah. it, it's its taken a, a real kicking because of setbacks with the technology. But there are, I think there's going to be a time and place where that sort of the augmented reality comes back in a different way. But certainly I think the it's the artificial intelligence component yeah. That's going to flip the switch on that. Mm. Yeah. How, how so? I think because at that point, it's not just immersion. It becomes a holy, you know, they choose your own ending stories. Mm-hmm. Some of the games, and I wish I can remember right now, which one it was that I experienced this in. It wasn't Rift. It might've been Elder Scrolls. Mm. I think it was Elder Scrolls. No, Guild Wars 2, mm-hmm. um, where they applied AI so that the game was different for every person playing it. Yeah. And well, that wasn't a VR experience. It was interesting because had that been VR on top of it, I would have been absolutely hooked. <laughs> the for game sure. I was playing was completely different from the person beside me because every you had to make mm. choices along the way. Yeah. Every choice had a different consequence and completely changed the story. Right. Yeah, that's if, if it gets to that point where the 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 dialogue can can form a new game that the, the programmers hadn't conceived that that's that's really interesting like it's scary good right because yeah, the implications cool. of that get very star trek <laughs> yeah, get trapped in the sure. holodeck trapped episode the <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> jump in the shark baby <laughs> um but yeah i think that was a well-played episode yeah that's a very well-played episode oh, oh thank you i haven't had this much fun in a long time and i think it's just <laughs> Because of what you hit on, it's the fact that mm. this is not a side of me I share with people. There are very few people uh, that know this about me. So uh, it has man. been like chocolate cake and then some to be able to <laughs> hang with you guys tonight and talk about this. Well played.